Christmas will collapse. Well, he did that. He went down, he stole everything. And early Christmas morning, he watched the Whoville people come out and they gathered around a Christmas tree in town. They didn't have anything for Christmas, but yet they were worshiping the star that was coming down from heaven. And that was Christ. And they worshiped the Lord because the meaning of Christmas was not about the gifts. It was all about Christ. Grinch saw that. And when he saw that, he realized the true meaning of Christmas. And he broke down and he wept with great contrition. And God saved him and his heart grew in grace. How do you like that for a sermon twist? Amen? Amen? That's my interpretation of the story of Grinch. But I wanted you to see this clip because really, it really emphasizes of what I'm speaking about today. And that is, can, men ex- can a man experience a genuine change in his heart? Can he have a true, genuine heart change? Now, my text this morning is, is from Acts chapter 28, verse 27. And my title of the sermon is Renovating the Heart. We are in a renovating series. We've got all of this good stuff behind me that uh, the saw horses and all of this to just give us some atmosphere that we are working on ourselves. We are renovating ourselves. We are making some major changes in our life. But we are talking about this morning of making a renovation of our heart. In fact, Acts chapter 28, verse 27, and I'll read it to you. It says, for the hearts of these people are hardened. The hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear. And then he says again, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me, and let me heal them. Their hearts. Now, Paul was quoting Isaiah. Isaiah got a glimpse of the glory of God and it changed him inside out. He had an out of body experience and he was in the presence of the Lord. And what Isaiah said in, in Isaiah chapter 6 he saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filled the temple, and the temple was filled with smoke. Basically, what Isaiah saw was Jesus Christ in the zenith of his glory and the power of his Shekinah glory, and it smote him to the heart. In other words, he said he was so overwhelmed with the greatness and the vastness and the magnificence of the presence of God that he felt like a worm. In fact, he said, woe is me because I am undone. He says, I'm not even worthy to be in the presence of God. I'm not even worthy to be here. Well, after this great spiritual experience Isaiah had, he went back to the people of Israel excited and pumped up to tell them about what it was like to see God in all of his glory. And as he's telling these people passionately, God is great. He is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshiped. He's so magnificent. You can't even imagine how fabulous God is. And as he's telling the people, he senses there was this ho-hum attitude. He sensed something about the heart of the people of Israel. And he said, they're hardened. 
It reminds me of that verse in the Bible where one of the kings in the New Testament, where it says, he cared for none of these things. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about the greatness of God. Surely he didn't care about the worship of God. And Isaiah, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, says, for the hearts of these people are hardened and their hearts cannot understand. Now the apostle Paul, a thousand some years later, had the same epiphany. He was on a road of Damascus and he was out persecuting Christians and he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a legalist. He believed you would need to be righteous by God with your own self-righteousness. You gotta have a bunch of rules. You gotta do all the right stuff. So he was proud of his religion until he came face to face with the brilliance of God and Jesus came out and spoke to Saul of Tarsus at that time. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul was overwhelmed again, just like Isaiah, with the power and the presence of God that he was smote with blindness. And he heard the voice of God. He saw the glory of God like Isaiah. And he went back to the people of Israel, a changed man. And he was preaching Jesus and preaching about the Messiah. And he too, like Isaiah, says, God is so great. You, you can't even imagine how vast and how spectacular and glorious it is to be in the presence of God. And he was faced with that same ho-hum. They cared for none of these things. The Apostle Paul was reminded of Isaiah's scripture where he said, the hearts of these people are hardened and their hearts cannot understand. And it grieved Isaiah and it grieved Paul because people did not have a heart. They didn't have a heart for God. You know, we're talking about renovating the heart. And the question always comes up, really, what is the heart of man? As humans, we, of course, have a physical heart. You can't see it. It's hidden. But we're all aware that we also have something within us called the intangible heart. But what exactly is this intangible heart? We've heard the word heart used since we've been young. We hear it in everyday language. We hear it in literature. We hear it in music. We hear it in other contexts. And most of us probably have a, a general definition of the heart of man. And that is thinking of it as something inside of us that kind of feels emotion like love and affection and compassion and sorrow. You see, but the definition of the heart of man in the Bible isn't just given in one verse. In fact, it's spread out through multiple verses in the Bible. In fact, uh, there, there's a, a glaring problem facing all of us, and that is the condition of our human heart has been jeopardized. We are all born with a defective heart and a heart that's been compromised and diseased with sin. And because of the 
issues of the heart and the importance of the heart to God, did you realize that the word heart or referring to the intangible heart of man is mentioned well over a thousand times in the Bible because God is concerned about our hearts and what its importance to God and to us is all about. How can our heart be renovated for God's glory? How can it be renovated to the place that our heart is accepted before God? Over the years of ministry, in my 42nd year of ministry, I've been able to identify different hearts. And I really don't know for sure because there are a lot of people that pretend to be Christians. They can fake a good heart. I don't know, but I believe I have run across some genuine people who've had a, a real heart. Uh, there, are, there are also people who have had hard hearts. I, I've met people that have had cold hearts, some people who are very indifferent with their heart. There, have, there are people who have worldly hearts. There are people that have soft hearts, good hearts, gracious hearts, generous hearts. I, I've run across a lot, a lot of people. In fact, a pretty good, a good idea, a pretty good pulse of the hearts of our people in this church. But only God knows the true condition of your heart. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we really can't know the condition of our heart because the Bible says, who can know it? Because the heart is slippery like a bar of soap. It can change. It vacillates. Our hearts... When we were born in this world was a heart that was diseased by sin. But how can we renovate our hearts? And this morning, I just want to give you some practical points on how we can have the right heart before God. And the first big point I want to write down, and, and that is we need to appraise the nature of our depraved heart. I've had occasionally people come to me and say, well, this person was good, born with a good heart. But that's not true because the, the truth of the scripture, as the song said, the voice of truth, the truth of the matter is we are all born with a defective heart that was bent away from God. We have a heart that's bent towards sin. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. If you go online and search for the heart, you'll find details about the physical heart. And you'll see photos of the physical heart and diagrams explaining its function and, and the way it works. You'll also find out a lot of information uh, uh, on caring for your heart so you can live longer. A poor diet or a lack of exercise or other factors can have dire consequences. The older I get, the more I'm interested in reading about my heart. But what about the condition of the intangible heart? It, if neglecting our physical heart affects our life negatively, then surely neglecting our intangible heart is also detrimental. But how can we care for our heart if we don't even understand what the heart really is all about? You see, God created us as a three-part being with spirit, soul, and body. Our heart in the Bible is a composition of all the components of our soul, our mind, our thinking, our emotion, and our will, plus also our conscience. 
In fact, 9.4 says this, Matthew 9.4, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil things? Watch this. Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? Jesus is the only one that can put a barometer on your heart and read exactly where you are. He's the only one that can do that. He was looking at these Pharisees, and they weren't saying a thing. But Jesus was reading all of their minds, and he was saying to them, he was saying, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? So the heart of man has a lot to do with the thought life of a man. The thinking is is in the center of our heart and soul. In fact, the Bible says this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Bible also says that that we reveal the nature of our inward heart when we begin to speak because your words reflect the true identity of your heart. In fact, there says a scripture, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The Bible teaches us also that our conscience is a vital part of our heart. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us come forward to the holiest of holies with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So our conscience is what blames or condemns us when we're wrong. This verse makes it abundantly clear that not only is our thought life, but our conscience, this is all part of our heart. In fact, I'd like to say it like this. And the heart of man is the center of man's mind and his personality, which it involves desires, thoughts, intellect, conscience, emotions. It's the place where values and opinions and directions are formed inside of you. And the heart is the core of who we really are. It's the headquarters where we retain and process information. It's the cockpit where we process information from our surroundings in life for the purpose of discernment and perspective, direction and decision. It's where we compute. It's our thought life. So when God is talking about the heart of man, he's talking about the inward processes of your thinking, how you process things through life. You are forming as you go, as you live life. You experience situations and circumstances and encounters with other people. And you you bring all that together and you begin to form your perspective on life. I have three chairs here. These three chairs represent the the three components of a man. You have the flesh. You have the physical body. You have the soul. The soul involves, the soul here involves the emotion, the intellect, the thinking process, all the experiences of life. And then you have what we call the spirit of man. Now, when man fell, at one time, man was made in a perfect state of wholeness. There was body, soul, and spirit. When man disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, God says, thou shalt surely die. The body began a dying process. The soul was connected to the body. But the spirit of man is where God connects to man. When when man fell in the Garden of Eden, this place of connection with God died. Therefore, Because of that loss of the spirit, that connecting place with God, we are left with a physical body and we're left with a soul. Therefore, the physical man began to affect 
the soul. Physical soul. I begin to live within the realm of the five senses. So therefore, my reasoning and my ideas about life, my decisions and my direction of life was really dictated by the physical sinful man. Therefore, is what the Bible calls a natural man, a man that, that did not have the Spirit of God working in him. Now, the day I got saved... Jesus did something amazing. With the blood of Jesus Christ, he resurrected my spirit. You see, the spirit is where God connects to you. It is through your spirit that he quickens, that he resurrects, he brings life. It is through the spirit that he gives you the filling of the Holy Spirit. The body never is filled with the Holy Spirit. The soul is never filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of man, as the Bible says, is the candle of the Lord. This is where God connects to us. And when we got saved, the spirit of God came back to life, but now there's a conflict because now I have lived under the domination of the flesh. The flesh is at enmity with the spirit because the spirit of God is not in agreement with the flesh. And therefore, my soul sits in the middle, and I can either lean toward my flesh and believe the voice of the flesh, or I can lean toward the Spirit of God and receive the Spirit of truth. And I'm so thankful that the praise team sang that song this morning, the voice of truth, because if you want to grow in grace and if you want to grow in pleasing the Lord, you got to lean into the Holy Spirit of God and receive the grafted Word of God. you got to receive the Word of God, then you grow. And there's a lot of people that, that they're so leaning to the flesh. When they hear the Bible preached, they're like, I don't like that. Of course you don't like it. Because the Spirit of God goes against the grain of the flesh and the soul. Your soul and the condition of your soul depends on where you consider truth. Where are you leaning? To the flesh, and that's a soulish person. Or my soul, like Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Her heart, her soul leaned into the Lord and received the things of God, and she grew in grace. So the body, the soul, and there's a transformation. Your soul can be transformed. Your heart can be totally transformed by the act of understanding, making a true appraisal of the condition of your depraved state. The heart is the hidden inner man, which is invisible. In essence, this is what it says. The heart is the central part of us, is where our emotions and conscience and thoughts and desires dwell. That's the middle chair. And we may not understand our hearts, but God does. He says he, he has knowledge of all men and had no need that anyone should testify a man, for he knew what was in man. The heart abounds with all kinds of contradictions. This is the soulish. 
the soulish man, the man who leans to the flesh. Sin has laid such a hold on the faculties of the heart that it's corrupted all of us and causing all of us to act in ways outside of our created warning, uh, order. And the mind was designed, designed to cover tr- discover truth. Emotions were, des- were designed to respond with ecstasy to the beauty of truth. And the will was designed to perform the will of truth. But sin is entered, and because of that, we have great confusion. We all have issues of the heart. And then I want you to look at the second thing, and that is arrest the dark impulses of our heart. Now, this is an absolute truth. Just because you get saved does not mean that the old man is eradicated. There is a conflict. There is a battle between the screaming voice of the flesh and the screaming voice of the Holy Spirit. And we're the soul. We take all that information and we process that. This is our determination of what we have come to believe and what we choose to follow in our life. This is the soul. This is the cockpit. This is where, this is the intersection. This is the deciding factor of what kind of heart you're gonna have. The soul. There's enmity between the spirit of God and the flesh. There's a war raging. Our biggest problem in our Christian life is not external, but it's internal. All of us have a heart problem. And even though we're saved, we still battle with the dark impulses of our sinful heart. And before a man is saved, he is swayed by the, by completely by the five senses of the flesh. And the human heart in its natural condition is evil, treacherous, and deceive, deceiving. Je- Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, the fall of man has affected all of us at the deepest level. Our mind, our emotions, desires have been tainted by sin. We are blind just to how pervasive the problem is. In fact, Jesus pointed out about our fallen condition. This is with the flesh affecting the soul. This is what he says. From within, out of man's heart comes evil thoughts, comes sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and follow. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You see, the spirit of man is dead before salvation. There's no spiritual influence or truth that affects him. But after salvation, the spirit of man is resurrected. And now the spirit of God becomes an active participant in helping you shape your values and your desires and the direction of your life, which brings us to conflict. The Apostle Paul, this might blow you away, the greatest Christian, probably in the whole Christian era, the greatest Christian who ever lived, he gave us this testimony, and after he was saved, and he wrote this later on in his life, he said this, he said in, in Romans 7, and 24, I love God's law with all my heart. In other words, he says, my soul, I lean to the word of God. I love the word of God. I love the Holy Spirit. I love the things of God. I lean into that. But, he says, there's another power within me that is at war with my mind, and it's the flesh. 
This power of the flesh makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? In other words, Paul says, the things I should do, I don't do, and the things I do, I shouldn't do. He says, I'm a contradiction to myself. I feel like a hypocrite. All my life is a struggle, and my friend, that's why the world has a good time, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the voice of truth. They don't have God trying to work on the inside. They have the flesh, they're arm in arm together, and they're having a good time, but their end is destruction and death. We, as the children of God, have the Holy Spirit of God within us, and we do not live our lives for a fleeting moment of earthly life. We are living our lives for eternity. We are pilgrims making our way through this world. We are heading to the kingdom of God where the bliss of life will be eternally ours forever. Forever. Now that we have the Holy Spirit within us, we are commanded to keep strong and healthy by arresting any thought or impulse that is not pleasing to the Lord. We have a job cut out for us. We are the children of God. This world is not my home, amen? One of these days, I'm going to take my last breath from this world, and I'm going to sing that song, Goodbye, World, Goodbye. Good riddance to you. Good riddance to your crazy politics. Good riddance to your crazy economy. Good riddance to all your taxes. Good riddance to the IRS. Good riddance to the hospitals. Good riddance to the bill collectors. They're not going to call me up in heaven. Don't you hate them things? When you get to heaven, you're going to enter a state of eternal bliss with Christ. While we're living in this world, we are engaged in a battle. We have to arrest sinful impulses. That's why so many Christians live defeated lives. You know why? Because they don't stand guard at their heart. They have such a permissive lifestyle. Whatever feels good, they do it. They have no resistance to sin. They just welcome anything that comes into their life. And they they allow sin to trample in to the heart and, and trample over God's work of grace. They allowed bad attitudes. They allowed sinful thoughts. They allowed sexual impure thoughts. They embraced pornography. They embraced all kinds of garbage in their life. And they expect to have the fulfilling of the spirit. And the Christian life doesn't work for them. You know why? Because they never stand guard to their heart. Sin cannot have dominion in us as a believer. Somebody's got to stand on guard. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You got to stand on guard. You know, this is what the wisest man in all the world, Solomon, said. This is what he said. This is what he said. The wisest man that ever lived who put life in a test tube and came back and said, this is is the whole duty of man. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. He's telling the soul, guard your heart. And when the flesh wants to drag up some things 
to trigger the soul to embrace sin. He says, throw it out. Guard your heart. Throw out lustful thoughts. That's why Jesus said, if a man thinketh in his heart and the lust after another woman other than his wife has already committed adultery. You see why? Because sin originates in the heart. Hatred, anger are all seeds of murder that take place and take root in the heart of man. Envy. Jealousies, all of these things lead to theft. You think the people in prison wanted to go out and commit all these sins? I mean, deep down, intrinsically, there was something inside them. They knew it was wrong, but they were driven because they never stood guard at their heart and they allowed sin to come in and trample them. And so it is with the life of the believer. You got to take guard of your heart. There are some things that you got to throw out of your mind. You have to cast down these imaginations. And when you begin to think a sinful thought, and when the devil, the tempter, brings something to trigger something inside of you, you need to say, no, that is wrong, it is sinful, and it's not going to dwell in me. Get out of me. Get out. The entrance of our heart is the gateway or the portal of our whole being. And we've got to stay in guard of any corruption that contaminate our faith. Every day there are new clever voices and vices that seek to overcome our spirit-filled life. Stand, and they stand ready to storm their way into the inner sanctuary of our heart to destroy and dismantle and disrupt our walk with God. So many times we think that the flesh has all the answers to make them happy. I hear this all the time, but Pastor Tim, doesn't God want me to be happy? And we think that happiness is embracing sin and walking in transgression. I got news for you. The way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor leads to death. If you really want to be happy, learn to be holy. Learn to say no to sin. Stand guard at your heart. Watch out. Watch out for people that will bring infectious, uh, sinful desires or trigger sinful things inside of you. Stay away from people that will drag you down. Find some godly people in your life and stand with them. Hold, let them hold you accountable. Do what is right till the stars fall from the sky. Just do right. Stand guard. And then number three, acclimate to behaviors that change the heart. The Bible says that God prepares your heart by the Holy Spirit. He says the preparations of the heart in man is from the Lord, Proverbs 16.1. Let me read that again. The preparations of the heart in man is from the Lord. God says, I will take your old heart and give you a new heart. He told David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Ezekiel 36 says this, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit or a new attitude I will put within you. I will take away the stony heart of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. There has to be a desire for a new heart. Every once in a while. If I listen to this old flesh, I fall into a pit of depression. 
The flesh speaks death. The, de- the flesh tells me to abandon the word of God. There are days I wake up and the flesh tells my soul, you can't believe the Bible is God's word. It's an ancient book. There are times that in my soul I'm waking up in the morning and I'm thinking I need to get into the word of God and the flesh comes up alongside of me. But you really can't understand the Bible. The the Bible is hard to understand. It's a difficult book. So you don't feel like struggling this morning. And my soul wants to listen to my flesh. And when my soul, and there have been times that I have surrendered and leaned into the flesh, and there's been this thing called depression, futility, and my faith begins to sag. And when I become engulfed in this pit from the flesh, the Spirit of God comes aside. The Spirit of God says, Tim, I love you. You don't have to jump through hoops for my acceptance. You just got to receive the blood of Jesus to wash away your sin. I begin to realize that the flesh is a problem, and then I begin to lean into the Spirit of God, and then I start reading the truths of God, and I find out that the devil lied to me because all of a sudden the Bible comes alive, and there are verses and, and, and words that all of a sudden trigger spirit of faith in me and spirit of hope in me and a spirit of joy in me. And all of a sudden there is this reconnection and there is this yielding of my part to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden the fruits of the spirit become evident, love, joy, peace, and this soul is transformed. Soul is transformed. It's called regeneration. There are three things necessary to renovate the heart. And here they are. Number one, there must be a willingness to experience an inward change. I like what 2 Corinthians 8.12 says. For if there first be a willing mind, which is acceptable to according what man has, there has to be a willingness. The soul always has a choice. Flesh or the spirit. The soul has a choice. There has to be a willingness to experience an inward change. For if there first is a willingness. I don't know about you, but I desire a new heart. I desire for God to do something new in me every day. I desire to be refreshed in my spirit. It's called deep calleth unto deep. That's a verse in the Bible. I used to never understood that verse. Deep calleth unto deep. What does that mean? The depth of my brokenness. The depth of my emptiness. The depth Of my need of wisdom, my depth of my need of courage, 
my deep need calls out to God in his deep resources. He is deep with wisdom. He is deep with courage. He is deep with power. He is deep with enablements. When deep depth of indebtedness calls out to a God that's deep in riches, all of a sudden there is what we call an infusion. There is an empowerment. There is a transformation. But it all begins with this willingness to experience a new heart. It begins with a thirst. Are you happy where you are in life? Are you just struggling? Are you scratching at the wall? Are you barely making it? Chances are you're winging it. You're trying to dig from the well that is a broken cistern that cannot hold water. When you pull over here and your deep need calls out to the deep resources of God, it is then that God pours his life into you. The second thing is, the Bible says, there must be a willingness to yield to the presence of God. A change of heart takes a constant yielding into the presence of God in order to experience a general, genuine spiritual transformation. we got to be willing to put ourselves under the influence of God, and God is the faucet, and he is the fountain of all blessing. If you believe that, say amen. amen. God is a good God. He's not depressed. He's not bankrupt. You have to be willing to put yourself under the faucet of the presence of God for not only cleansing, but for refreshments and entitlement and strength. There has to be a willingness to put yourself under the presence of God. I like what it says. Romans 6.13, Paul says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But he says, but yield, I love this, listen. Here's the soul. Yield, yield yourself to God. What does that mean? What's the word yield? It's a verb. It means to lean into the spirit of God. You know what you need this morning? You don't need motivational talks. You don't need to go out and get a new book. You just need to take out the holy word of God. And you know what you need to do this morning? Some of you, you're dried up wells. You need to lean into the presence of God. Some days I wake up, I feel pretty rough. The older I get, the rougher I feel. I don't know about you, but there seems to be more problems in the world now than ever. Problems come to me by the droves. I wake up in the morning, I look around and think, what in the world? My life was never this complicated. Then I get phone calls and people say, preacher, I'm drowning. I feel like saying, I am too. And I look out and I say, Lord, I can't do this. I barely got enough energy in me to get myself going, let alone a couple hundred people. You know what God says, Tim? 
you need me. And I pull up to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit does something. Holy Spirit overcomes me. And there's this thing called the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, power is given to you. I have power to get out of bed. I got power to go get a shower. I got power to shave. I got power to get dressed. I got power to get in my car. I got power to walk into the office. And all of a sudden, as I exercise my faith in God, he enables me to do the things that I thought I cannot do. You cannot live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, miracles take place. And I keep thinking to myself, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are freely dumped into the soul and the heart of a man that yields to God's presence. And then number three. There must be a consistent look into the face of God. I'm learning this. Been a pastor a long time. It's easy for me to stand up and say, do this, do that. I need to be transformed. God is the one who transforms you from the inside out. It's not you. He is the one who changes our countenance and our behavior, gives us a brand new heart. It takes a daily stare at the glorious face of Jesus in order to experience the supernatural change within. It takes a consistent look. We have a group called Why Pray. I went through a hard year with the surgeries, the spine surgery. The devil came to me and said, you're, you're done. You can't even walk. How are you going to go out there and preach? You're on so much medication, you don't know your foot from your hand. Look at you. The world needs young people. They don't need old people like you. And then I have to deal with all my aches and pains, and I'm thinking, you know what? You're right, flesh. And the Spirit of God comes alongside of me. And I I yield to the Holy Spirit because I need the Holy Spirit. Flesh doesn't do anything for me. I lean into the Holy Spirit and God says, Tim, just give me what you have. Samson had a jawbone of an ass and he wiped out a thousand enemies. David took five little stones and only used one to take down Goliath. Just give me your time, your willingness. Let me use you. Because, Tim, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's all about me. Choosing the base things of this world, things that are unworthy, things that are unfit, it is God's will that he would transform my life for a vessel for his glory. What does it take? It takes a willingness to be transformed by looking in the face of Jesus. When I was in the Y prayer group, we we were talking about Jesus. And I kept saying, you know, I'm going to see him pretty soon. I'm going to see him. I wonder what he looks like. 
And one of the ladies in the Why Pray group said, you know, there's a girl that, that experienced a walk over to the other side and saw Jesus, and she came back and painted that picture. I, I, I pray it so. And they got this painting for me of the face of Jesus, and I have it in my office, and I put it right in front of my desk. If you go up there now, you'll see that painting. But not only do I just see the painting of that face of Jesus, every morning I wake up, I say, thank you, Lord, for another day. And I can see his face. I can see his face smiling at me and my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to help you today, but you got to follow me. You got to lean into me. And I could see him and I can hear his voice. And I have found that since this surgery of mine, that every day my close walk with Christ has become much more intimate because I need him. But something has happened since February the 28th to this present time is that every day that I watch and look at the face of Jesus, inwardly there's a transformation that's taking place. And I find myself, people will say, you know, you remind me of Jesus. Your touch is a touch of Jesus. And I'm thinking, no, it's not me. It's Christ living in me, the hope of glory. There is a transformation. Listen, what am I saying? You want a new heart? Look full in his wonderful face. Look full in his wonderful face every day you wake up. In your brokenness and your emptiness, just look up to God in all your problems and pains and say, Jesus, I want to look in your face. Because the more you look at the image and the glorious face of Jesus, there will be a transformation that will take place in your soul. Your heart will be changed to a heart of glory. Your heart will be transformed to a life of greatness. And there will be a transformation of strength that God will infuse in you. And God will give you his peace. As you lean lean to the spirit of man where the spirit of God is connected. This morning you have a choice. Your soul is in the cockpit. You're either going to ignore the spirit of God. Some of you haven't picked up your Bible in a long time. You haven't looked in the face of Jesus. You're winging it and you run out of gas on the interstate and you're too embarrassed to say anything about it. You've been leaning into this mess. Now, let the voice of truth, let the spirit of God stand guard on your heart. We got to appraise the nature of our depraved heart. We've got to arrest the dark impulses. I get them, you get them. I get impulses. Sometimes I get an impulse to do something wicked. It just comes out of nowhere. The devil's constant. The flesh is, this is what, this, it's a cesspool. And I go, that's ungodly. That's corrupt. Get out. And I got to immediately put the word of God 
If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And I need God to hear me, folks. I need God to hear me. I want him to hear me. I used to think of that old hymn, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. I need the Lord. I cannot take one step without holding his hand. I need the Holy Spirit. Your soul has a choice. How good is your heart? Well, it all depends on where you, where you yield. Go that way, your heart will be corrupt. Your heart will be deceived. And you're going to experience depression, emptiness. Lean toward him, and he will fill you. This morning... Spiritually, I'm leaning to the Holy Spirit. I got some things coming up this week. Oh, I need the Lord. I got to go back to John Hopkins on Tuesday, and they got some things they got to talk about. And of course, the old flesh comes over, and I'm like, that. Ah, I need to lean. I need to lean toward God. I need his filling. I need that abundant joy. I need strength to get through my trials. You need strength to get through yours. You need victory. And the moment the Holy Spirit of God fills you, my friend, you can do anything in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. This morning, this is what I want you to do. If you're here today and you're in the middle... If you're willing, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if your well is dry, I want you to yield to the one. Deep need calleth unto the deep resources. This morning, what I want you to do, and God laid this on my heart. You know what he told me this morning coming? It was just as clear as a bell. Have my people lean toward me and I will fill them. Some of you are going to go through a hard week. I don't know what it is. The Lord's already prompted me. Some of you are going to go through a very hard week. You know what? You need the filling now. You know what you need to do? Lean toward the Lord and open your mouth wide and let him fill it. It's been a long time. Some of you have been out there by yourself in the cockpit of your own soul. You need him. Lean into him. This morning, I believe with all my heart that God is going to open the windows of heaven and flood the souls of men. If you'll lean into him, if you're willing, he will fill you. Let's pray. With every head bowed.